are listening to the AI with Maribel Lopez podcast, or AI with ML. If this is your first time listening, thank you for joining. The AI with ML podcast is produced bi-weekly with occasional bonus episodes. This podcast shares the stories of the people behind the new world of data and AI. What are they creating and why does it matter? If you like this episode, please subscribe so you can easily find the podcast again. You can also share your feedback and ideas with me on Twitter and LinkedIn. All links are in the show notes. Extended show notes can be found at AIwithML.com slash podcasts. I hope you'll enjoy the show. Hello and welcome back to the podcast. I'm here with Peter J. Scott. He's a futurist, a NASA technology expert and an author. He's also the co-founder of the Next Wave Institute. The Next Wave Institute provides experiential training to educate individuals on how to survive and thrive through technology disruption, much like Lopez Research actually tries to help people understand technology change. He's also a recent TEDx speaker who spoke on how to save us from being left behind by AI. And I could think of no better topic for both of the podcasts I, I work with, Reimagine Hybrid Work and AI with Maribel Lopez. So Peter, welcome to the program. Thanks, Maribel. It's great to be here. Um, can you tell the audience in your own words, you know, what you do, uh, what Next Wave Institute does and how you came about the AI field? Well, sure. And it was about 12 years ago that I started learning more about the effects of AI beyond just the technology. And that was prompted by having children recently arrive and thinking about their future as one does contemplate beyond one's own existence and thinking about what their path through life and the job market would be and realizing how different that would be, how much it would change from what I was used to and how fast it was changing. And I thought, there are things I know about this where I could make a difference and I owe it to them to do that. And and I decided that I needed to be communicating to people about this, uh, which was a huge stretch because I was computer programmer, I was a, a, a complete nerd and Asperger's syndrome, whole nine yards. And yet, uh, because of work that I had done in coaching and personal development and communications, that it turned out to be a fit where I find myself now able to act as that uh, translator, that um, uh, impedance matcher that helps people understand the impact of this in their language. Well, first of all, congratulations. And second, um, the thing that you brought up about speed, I think, is one of the issues that in the past, technology didn't seem to move as fast as it does today. And, and part of that is actually driven by the use of AI. But I think it's very important for people to understand you know, where we are and start tracking the trends. So I think that your your role is going to continue to be even more important as time goes on. But I've read that you consider AI the new electricity. Can you tell me more about that? Sure. That's a quote from Andrew Ng, and uh, I've extended it to, well, I condensed it down to one word that I made up, uh, dinocognesis, the process of applying power to thinking. Because 
it's not just a matter of computerizing computation of making machines that can calculate faster. It's taking this thing that we do between our ears and accelerating it and growing it to scales that are impossible for human beings because we've only got enough room for what fits on the top of our necks. And there is no theoretical limit to what can happen with AI. And for many years, computers were restricted to extending calculation. So that didn't make us feel terribly um, competitive because people who calculated square roots for a living were um, not um, numerous and had been out of work for a long time. But now it's encroaching in areas which we, where we consider that, that we are unique. We thought this is what makes us uniquely human to be able to figure out things that we can't explain, that we can't write computer programs for, and yet we can write programs that let computers figure it out for themselves, that let them train themselves on that. And this process is going to accelerate more and more, just in the same way that the invention of electricity pre, uh, caused revolutions that weren't predictable at the time that just the light and the motor were being created. And you're absolutely right about the speed of progress changing. If you look at the adoption curves for new technologies, going back to the, the automobile and then coming forwards through the telephone and the computer and the cell phone, these curves, which follow this characteristic S-shaped logistic curves, are getting steeper and steeper and steeper. And maybe one day soon they'll be vertical. To your point, the there's just been such tremendous change in terms of what's happening and, and how we review it. And I'm glad I don't have to be the person that calculates square roots for a living um, because I wouldn't be necessarily the best person for that. Uh, but, you know, the discussion about AI is filled with so much opportunity, but also some specific challenges. And I'm wondering if you can spend a few minutes, since you've done a lot of research in this field, explaining what you believe the critical challenges are today versus, say, several years ago. You don't have to do the history, but just what you think people should be really investigating now. Hmm. Thank you. The, the meta challenge is understanding AI because it is so multifaceted. It's, it's like the parable of the six blind men and the elephant. They're exploring this thing. They think they've got a spear or a rope uh, or... A leaf, but they're feeling different part to the elephant. Well, we are like all of us, not so much groping an elephant, but um, exploring this thing that is many, many times bigger uh, and presents a different face to each of us. So that understanding what AI really is and what it can do is the, the matter challenge, because every time it does something that stretches further into a field that we thought was just what humans were good at, like we've seen with large language models doing recently and the artwork and, and so forth, we think that means it can do everything else that humans can do with our, our minds. This is not true. So the, the meta challenge is understanding that AI is a pattern matcher and a pattern finder and a pattern maker. And then the specific challenges that we are in, encountering right now are AI, uh, driving disinformation. We had AI algorithms for YouTube and TikTok and Facebook 
that essentially broke democracy accidentally by being optimized for maximizing the amount of time someone spent on that platform. And instead that caused them to become radicalized along various axes of um, conspiracy theories mainly. So there's the impact of AI in the spread of misinformation. In the, its deployment right now, some of the biggest impacts are in understanding and mitigating bias. We've seen plenty of examples like Amazon's resume scanner was biased against women just because most of their engineers that they'd hired until that point had been men. And so it said, I'm going to copy what you've done up until now. That's what you trained me to do. And another key challenge is explainability. When AI makes a decision like, am I going to hire this person? You want it to be able to tell you why. And, and, and that is very hard because in this case, that AI is trained on examples. It's essentially imitating. It's absorbing this, this pattern but it's only real explanation of how it did that would be to say, well, I've got these million uh, numbers in my network, which comprise the weights of the network that um, are, are the result of the training and they are what caused this decision to happen. Well, that doesn't satisfy people when they're not getting hired, when they're not getting a loan. And figuring that explainability out is something that some very, very smart people are working on right now. I think you brought up three critical challenges that every organization should be thinking about. And that's one, how do you explain what AI can and can't do to business leaders if you're a technologist? And if you're a technology marketing vendor, I think there's been the desire to say that there's nothing that this can't do. So maybe we've um, over-promised and under-delivered at this point. I think we're closing the gap on that. But I do think there's definite lack of clarity of, of what is possible with AI today. Then the second thing you brought up that is super fascinating, and I don't think many people really think about this, and that is, what is the goal? And depending on the goal of what you have AI do, there's oftentimes unintended consequences of that goal. So for example, you talked about maximizing certain types of articles and literature to individuals that, you know, the, the goal was to keep people on the platform, not necessarily to have this other um, alternative issue happen as a result of that. And then data. Uh, we talk a lot about data and every, everybody is awash in data has, has been the discussion we've had. But the point you bring up that I think is so important is just because you have data, it doesn't mean you have the right data to generate the outcomes that you would like from AI. And oftentimes there's a lack of representation in the data or there's even incorrect data in, in your model. So I think all, all three of those are key challenges. Now, I know that you're out researching and talking with companies. What are some of the things that companies or individuals are doing well in terms of AI? Well, the best practices in this area are all around data. The algorithms are mostly free and you can download them from the, the net. It's the training them on data. So that's why the, whatever data you've got, the more that you've got that is unique to you, that is your value. And so the, the best companies are aggregating 
huge amounts of data as much as they can. This is why Google gave away Gmail. Uh, and because of all the data that they would get, it was worth far more than the cost of 10 gigabytes of storage. And the, um, so, it, but then you've got to use it. You've got to curate that data. You've got to have a data scientist. If you've got enough data, then you will need a data scientist to make sure that data is, is sanitized because the old principle of garbage in, garbage out still applies. And it's just that it's harder to see what the um, impacts of having bad data will be with AI. It's going to enable you to make the same mistakes only faster and at scale. So getting the right data, getting it, it cleaned up, getting a data scientist who can understand that is part of the, the process of becoming a, a leading company in the use of, of AI right now. Well, one of the other things that is often discussed in this field is the impact of AI on the workforce. What are your thoughts on how that's evolving at this point? So if we're looking at that from the 100,000 foot level of the whole workforce, not drilling down into a sector, then primarily the uh, aspect to consider is a psychological impact. Because here we are at what may be the peak or uh, maybe there's more to come of interest and hype about AI. And we've had headlines about how it's going to automate half the jobs. We've had um, conspicuous headlines about it um, composing music, doing art, writing reports. And every day it seems as though something that people do for a living is coming under assault by AI. The truth is a lot more nuanced, takes longer to explain, but when they're uh, being attacked by all of these sound bites, then it raises a level of anxiety. So the, the psychological challenge is the, the biggest one. And I would say that for any company where you think that your people are uh, experiencing that, to engage them authentically uh, about why are we doing this? What are we doing? How are we going to react to this fourth industrial revolution? And what will your place be in ensuring our, our future success? I think authenticity is the, the, the key to uh, any business's success going forward in this age of AI. Absolutely. I think we talk a lot in the research that I've been doing about what is the role in automation in terms of helping eliminate mundane, repetitive tasks. But I also think one of the things we overlook is you can automate a poor process. And you know, one of the things we need to do is have better processes. And then to the extent that we can automate things, you know, is, you know, must happen. So for example, in many industries, you need to do a credit check on someone before you can give them service. That's something that's never going to go away, but you can automate a good part of that process. And that's not something that is a really good use of the intellectual capital that you probably have in the building. So I think there's there's some matching of that. But obviously, in any style of industrial revolution, some work will go away and different roles are there to replace that. So I don't know what those are yet, but I'm looking forward to seeing what comes next on that. But there's, God, there's so many different places that we could go with this. And I know that I know we talked a little bit about the 
the concept of data management and the importance of data and how you utilize data being something that you can do to prepare for the future. But are there other insights or concepts you have on how organizations should be preparing for this coming AI revolution, or I should say the AI revolution that's already here that we're participating in? Sure. I I think that, uh, well, I like to break this down along a quadrant uh, of uh, business types where one axis is, are you primarily producing a product or a service? And the other axis is, are you in a traditional or a disruptive field? So, for instance, a traditional product would be like making detergent. Uh, you're a supermarket chain, something like that. And in that quadrant, then you are, if you're not top of the field, be aware that you are uh, uh, in, very vulnerable to the people who are top, think the Walmarts or the Unilevers, um, using all that data to get AI to establish a competitive advantage and being able to afford that to do things that deploy insights at scale that, that, that could put you out of business. In fact, your most valuable asset might be your real estate at that point. So um, you really need to look hard at uh, how you, you exist in that um, competitive structure with people that are bigger than you. Now, if you're doing a traditional service, something like insurance, then you uh, could be vulnerable to automation depending on the size of the market. There are now insurance apps that automate the job of the claims adjuster. You take a picture of your car's ding and it does the next step. It, it uh, pays out the claim. Now, the but there is a an element of human contact in these jobs that can be used if you if you divorce it from the rote mechanical aspects of it, the part of the job that is is making calculations filling out spreadsheets and forms and so forth so focus on the customer relationship building if you're in a disruptive product um, something like the iPhone um, in or the the, the Roomba um, well, at least they were back in the day, and if they're still disruptive, your competition might be using AI for research and development uh, down the road. Um, and market conditions for disruptive products obviously change very fast. So you want to hook up AI to market analysis as well. Your, your greatest asset is the creative thinking that got you to this point. So focus on what more can those creative minds do. Now, finally, if you're in a disruptive service, something like creating um, a platform like um, uh, Uber, uh, Airbnb, uh, and which have no tangible assets, they just created a, a platform, then uh, when you're a startup, you're not vulnerable by definition in that field to commodity scale automation because you're doing something that hasn't been done before. And you should be looking at how can you use AI to disrupt traditional markets to uh, leverage that first mover advantage. Thank you. Those are three great points. Now, I know that you're probably working on many different things, but are there particular projects that you're working on or that others in the field are working on that excite you right now related to AI? Well, I'm really uh, excited about the possibilities of neuromorphic 
chip architectures. These are uh, chips and hardware that is designed directly to model the human brain. When we create AI deep learning models right now, they are architected around a model of the human neural network of neurons signaling each other. But we do this through high-level languages that are layered on top of compilers and machine language, and finally a von Neumann computer architecture, which has memory and a, a, a central processor and has to move data between the two on a bus. And, uh, and, and so that's about 12 layers of abstraction that you have to drill down through to implement that, which where the human brain does it uh, itself. This is why the human brain can operate up on 20 watts of power. You can run it all day on a burrito. We uh, struggle to get even 1% of its capacity in a 20 megawatt supercomputer. So there's room for improvement. And neuromorphic chips are architected directly modeling uh, human neural architecture. So there's all kinds of potential there. I, I think I like the research in trustworthy AI that's being done, IBM, uh, among other places. And I, I like how much the study of AI ethics has really taken off, has been embraced by ESG companies and is being debated uh, and advanced seriously by many people at uh, multiple institutes and institutions. I think those are all great projects, some of which I've looked at myself and, and thought exactly the same thing. Now, we have now entered the time for the bonus question, Peter. Are you ready? Mm -hmm. All right. Is there a book, a podcast, an activity, or a place that you'd like to recommend to the audience and why? It doesn't have to be tech-related. Well, sure. And, of course, you know, my own book and podcast and continuing studies course would uh, be at the top of any uh, author's list. Um, I recently read A Thousand Brains by Jeff Hawkins, and I thought that was really interesting. It gave me some insights into uh, how the human brain is is structured. And uh, the um, and, and of course, AI is uh, a, a lot of that is predicated on modeling how the human brain works. And we are not uh, terribly advanced in in terms of that right now. Um, Stuart Russell is a name would be familiar to a lot of people in AI. And he's got a book called Human Compatible that's really a beautiful exploration of um, how we keep AI, well, let's say under control going forward, how we develop it to uh, to be safe. Because as I was um, hearing on a, 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 I think it was Sam Harris's podcast, which would be another one that I would recommend, um, the other day uh, he was saying, well, you know, if bridge builders were the same way, then they would be saying, oh, well, um, build it first and then we'll solve the uh, falling down problem later on uh, after we've had a chance to get some beta testers out there. And maybe it's time to move from that ethic of move fast and break things to first do no harm. I think it's time for a thoughtful approach to AI. So I absolutely agree with that, Peter. If the audience is looking for you, where can they find you? Certainly, you can Google for on, on the uh, TEDx site for Peter Scott Artificial Intelligence. You can go to my website, humancusp.com, 
That's H-U-M-A-N-C-U-S-P.com. And there are links to my book and podcast there. Wonderful. I'll actually put links in the show notes. Peter, thank you so much for your time and your insight. And we hope to have you back again soon. Thank you, Maribel. I loved every moment. Thank you for listening. Show notes, subscription links, and additional content can be found at aiwithml.com slash podcasts. Until next time, wishing you all the best.